Welcome to Rights Up Right Now, a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Kira Allman. In this episode, I'm talking to Colin Harvey, Professor of Human Rights Law at Queen's University, Belfast, about the human rights implications of Brexit in Northern Ireland. There's a lot to unpick in the politics around Brexit. Following the EU referendum in June last year, the UK has had to face a tangle of unanticipated complexities around exiting the EU. One of the most contentious issues dominating the headlines recently has been the question of Northern Ireland. 2018 will mark the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which brought an end to decades of violent conflict between Protestants and Catholics in the country, and established the power-sharing government in Northern Ireland as we know it today. After leaving the EU, Northern Ireland will share the only UK land border with an EU nation, presenting an unresolved challenge regarding the movement of goods and people, and a potential threat to the still delicate peace agreement. In the aftermath of the referendum, there are already signs of destabilization. In January this year, the Northern Irish executive collapsed, bringing an end to almost 10 years of uninterrupted power sharing in government. And in the Parliament at Westminster, the Conservatives entered an agreement with Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, in order to achieve a working majority after the 2017 general election resulted in a hung parliament. Earlier this week, the DUP rejected draft EU exit plans over the terms for the Irish border, which were being actively negotiated with the EU, revealing tensions in the political arrangement with the Conservatives. But... Just this morning, news broke that the UK has reached a deal with the EU. Theresa May announced that there would be no hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement would be upheld, and EU citizens' rights would be protected in the UK. Few details about the agreement are available, and there are still many questions about how these very critical elements of the deal will be implemented. What has been clear, however, is that Northern Ireland is center stage right now in the Brexit debates, and we want to delve a bit more deeply into the issues at stake here and how human rights might also be an important part of this ongoing conversation. So we called Colin Harvey back in October to discuss these big picture issues, and we've got his interview here to help us start to do that. Thank you, Colin, for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm I'm really very delighted to contribute. So, Colin, you're looking at a lot of issues around Brexit right now. What exactly are you working on? I'm working at the moment with colleagues from Ulster University and an NGO in Northern Ireland called the Committee on the Administration of Justice on an ESRC, which is the Economic and Social Research Council funded project on Brexit in Northern Ireland. And we're looking at the human rights, equality, constitutional and conflict transformation consequences of Brexit for Northern Ireland. So that's a big part of the work we're currently doing. We've got a website, uh, Brexit Law ANI, and we're even on Twitter and Facebook and things like that too. So. Great. So what has Brexit meant for the politics of Northern Ireland? Uh, devolution, for instance, must be a big issue when we're talking about Northern Ireland. Well, I think the first thing to underline really is that Northern Ireland, like Scotland, voted to remain in the European Union. 
So while the UK voted to leave, Northern Ireland didn't. And I think that has raised all sorts of difficult questions around issues like consent. I think a second thing to keep in mind is that the peace process here has really been conducted with a background assumption, if you like, of common membership of the European Union. So the UK leaving, Northern Ireland leaving, uh, opens up, if you like, a, a fracture on the island and it really reopens the sovereignty question that the membership of the European Union and things like the Good Friday Agreement did so much to try and mend and heal. So it's really very, very significant consequences for Northern Ireland. It's been quite destabilizing. And as you know, a lot of thought is going on right now in at the European Union level, by the Irish government, by the British government, in terms of how the special circumstances of Northern Ireland will be addressed in that process. So how important was membership in the EU to the Good Friday Agreement and the peace process? The EU, really, the first thing to bear in mind is that EU membership was very much there in the background of uh, the the peace process, if you like. It was a sort of assumption, it was sort of air that people breathed in that process. And both states have either been in together or out together, if you like. So we're opening a new context for those British-Irish conversations. I think the Good Friday Agreement um, did a lot to try and mend division in Northern Ireland around British and Irish identity, around unionism and nationalism. And I think membership of the European Union helped massively in that as well, because the European Union encouraged the idea of multiple forms of identity. It also made people more comfortable with the idea of transnational institutions, if you like. And a big part of the Good Friday Agreement is that it doesn't just deal with relationships in Northern Ireland, but it deals with North-South relationship and East-West relationships. And I think the EU provided an important context for that. I suppose more practically, the European Union has been a big supporter of the peace process here. Uh, you know, in political terms, but also in financial and other terms as well. So it has funded a lot of peace building work in Northern Ireland, and there's a lot of nervousness and anxiety around that. So if I had to highlight sort of three key areas where the EU has played a part, I think it's those. But I think one of the intriguing things about this debate, it was the sort of taken for granted thing that provided a backdrop uh, to the process. So the UK leaving really opens up a worrying and difficult new context for that, I think. Mm -hmm. And how has the EU referendum affected the prospects for the peace agreement? I I think, you know, we need to keep in mind in in this that the difficulty was the two major parties in Northern Ireland, uh, Sinn Féin representing Republicanism and Nationalism and the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party representing Unionism, took polar opposite views on Brexit. Sinn Féin was for Remain and the DUP was for Leave. Now, the significance of that is, of course, that both of those parties were in a power-sharing executive, sharing power together. So that made the context very, very difficult indeed for that. In fact, uh, often forgotten is that in his letter of resignation, uh, the Deputy First Minister, the late Martin McGuinness, actually listed Brexit as one of the factors in his resignation in January 2017. So in a sense, it's reopened in a really unhelpful way 
that sort of what I'd refer to as a sovereignty fracture, you know, and also, you know, taking that forward, it means that the border on the island of Ireland now becomes an external border of the European Union. And free movement that came with the European Union did a lot uh, to make that border largely invisible. So I think the fear is now it puts much more attention back on that border. It puts much, much more attention on the divisions that are here, and it has contributed to the current sort of destabilized context we're in. I think, you know, listeners need to bear in mind, as we're currently speaking, um, the Northern Ireland executive has collapsed. There is no Northern Ireland assembly, and there are currently negotiations that are ongoing to try and restore those arrangements here. So at the moment, the political institutions here aren't operational. So it's been destabilizing and it's provided a a difficult backdrop to the current discussions. That's without even mentioning the fact that one of the major political players here, the DUP, which were pro-Brexit, are now in an arrangement with the Conservative government in London. So that arrangement between the DUP and the Conservatives at Westminster, has it had, would you say, uh, an impact on domestic politics in Northern Ireland? It's caused concern around the provisions in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement on impartiality and rigorous impartiality, the sense in which whatever government happens to have jurisdiction here, at the present it's the UK government, that they exercise their authority here with respect to the principle of rigorous impartiality. So I think the concern is that by entering this agreement with one of the major players in our peace process, there's a danger, whether real or perceived, that that concept, that principle of rigorous impartiality is you know, breached or disrespected. And as you can imagine, it creates a very challenging context for a negotiation. If the person chairing the negotiation, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, a negotiation trying to re-establish our institutions happens to be in a party that's in a political arrangement with one of the participants. So it's been quite difficult. Is the national conversation about devolution and Brexit capturing the most important issues at stake, or are we missing some key considerations here? Well, I think that there's a number of points there. One point that I've been making for a number of years, and I think it's it's worth just thinking about, is that the, what's happening in Northern Ireland goes beyond uh, devolution in a UK context, if you know what I mean, in a sense that um, it's not quite like Scotland or Wales in this context because the constitutional arrangements here are are flowing out of a peace agreement from 1998 and subsequent agreements. But those are also arrangements that are cross-border in terms of the island of Ireland and also have East-West British-Irish implications. And they're also underpinned by international law. So there's something quite constitutionally different going on in Northern Ireland. And I think there hasn't been sufficient attention in detail to the implications of Brexit for all of that. There have been... And there are a lot of warm words about all of that, you know, and I think there's there's an awful lot of thought at the moment, moment going on, whether it's London, Dublin or Brussels, and how precisely you deal with the circumstances, the unique circumstances of this island. But as yet, we haven't really seen a lot of detail. I suppose the human rights and equality 
aspect to this is also significant in that, you know, the Good Friday Belfast Agreement was really underpinned by human rights and equality guarantees. Uh, in the area of equality law, the European Union has, you know, been a driver for some of that, has been a driver in the right directions in relation to that. Uh, there's also the current proposals around the Charter of Rights, Charter of Fundamental Rights and what might happen to that. And when you also factor in the fact that the current government is talking about eventually repealing the Human Rights Act, it's really caused a lot of anxiety here that a lot of the human rights and equality underpinning of our process is being sort of slightly tugged away, if you like, or uh, at least a threat is hanging over it. And so I think that's contributed to, to the difficult moment that we're now in. Was the EU referendum vote a rejection on some level of human rights principles broadly speaking, of the value or importance of fundamental human rights? Part of what I've been trying to do, in a sense, is to to try and contextualize the Brexit debate as part of a larger trend. Yeah, And I think it's important that we do that. You know, I think that what we are living through at the moment is really a, an attack on the concept and the principle of human rights and the concept and the practice of human rights. And Brexit is one part of that. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that in the conversations that have surrounded Brexit, it seems to me that the very idea of human rights, that all human beings have them, is is being questioned. Um, a lot of the language around the Brexit debate has been a language of withdrawal and retreat into concepts of citizenship and belonging as the route to entitlements, right? And I think part of that is questioning the, the very concept that all human beings in the UK have uh, these fundamental rights. I think there's something else going on here as well, and we've seen it in some of the language around the judges and others who are questioning this process, that anybody who sticks their head above the parapet to defend either fundamental rights or defend the rule of law against some of the direction of travel of Brexit finds themselves under attack, you know, whether it's by newspapers, whether it's by public comment. So I think I think it's important that the debate around Brexit doesn't become a debate around technical fixes. You know, and I think there's a real risk that all people will essentially discuss is how you technically fix bits of the Brexit conversation. I think it's part of a larger trend that should make people who are involved in the global human rights movement quite worried because the UK developments are not isolated examples of this sense of withdrawal and retreat into narrower categories of entitlement that seem to me to be part of this global attack on the concept and the practice of human rights. We do spend a lot of time focusing on the details of Brexit these days. What will the deal actually look like? And frankly, that can be kind of confusing. It's so complicated that the details just become completely dizzying. But you're basically saying that we're missing the wood for the trees here. There are very big issues at stake, a tidal change in the way that rights are perceived and recognized. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. You know, I think that's absolutely right. And it's, you know, in, been involved in, in recent discussions as well, even at the UK domestic level around the EU withdrawal bill and the sense in which because uh, the UK is on this headlong rush forwards in Brexit, people are not 
taking the time to stop and realize that this is a profound constitutional moment you know, that, that 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 we're living through a time of constitutional crisis that isn't just about finding a technical fix for this bit of the EU withdrawal bill, but that there's a need for a proper constitutional conversation around what's happening, and and that is no more. No clearer, really, than the discussions around Northern Ireland, the island of Ireland, Scotland and Wales and its relation, the, the relationship with the UK. OK, so you mentioned a constitutional crisis. Um, what questions is Brexit opening up with regard to the UK constitution? I'm thinking off the top of my head of the Miller case here. This uh, was the recent UK Supreme Court case, Miller versus Secretary of State for Exiting the European Union, uh, where the Supreme Court ruled that the devolved legislatures, and that would include Northern Ireland, don't have the right to veto the UK Withdrawal Act. For me, I think it's important that we open out the conversation, you know, that we broaden out the conversation. But, you know, the Miller case for many people, particularly thinking from a devolution perspective, there are many people around the UK who thought that something constitutionally interesting and significant happened in the late 90s. You know, so for example, here are peace agreement, but obviously what happened in Scotland and, you know, what's been happening in Wales. So that, that, that the UK was a different place in 2017 than it was in the early 1990s. And I think what the Miller case, particularly on its devolution points, uh, what it said was that really perhaps there hasn't been as much constitutional change in the direction of a more constitutionally pluralist UK than maybe perhaps people had thought. And, you know, that's clear in relation to how they addressed issues around, you know, the consent principle and, and all of, of that. But I think it does raise big constitutional questions about basic respect. You know, Parliament can ply on, but what damage is this going to all do to the constitutional politics of the UK if it decides to do so, if the current government decides to plow on regardless, you know, there's a lot of talk about respect for the devolved arrangements, but sometimes that respect is not evident in the practice, you know. And so while we're talking about, while there's a conversation about leaving the European Union, what about that other union, the UK, that's future? So I feel like I've heard many reassurances swirling around that you know, we shouldn't be worried about rights. We're not abandoning the ECHR, the European Convention on Human Rights. We're exiting the common market and many things will change undoubtedly, but we aren't turning our backs on the ECHR. Um, Is that true? Can you help make sense of that a little bit? Absolutely right. The one thing to make clear is the UK, as a matter of international law, is going to continue to be bound by a number of international human rights protections, right? They're, They're still going to be there um, the Human Rights Act looks as if it's going to survive further for now, you know, but the threat is still there that it might, you know, be repealed and replaced at some point. But so there'll be human rights protections and guarantees, whether domestically or internationally, that will still be there. Right. So that 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 is clear. And I think it's important to underline that and accept that. But I think the Brexit it's the Brexit context. I think people are missing the context here. Right. It's that language of taking back control. It's the philosophy behind some of the Brexiteers. And I think the people who will feel that most are people who are subject, for example, to immigration and asylum law as the UK's repressive and restrictive approach, the sort of hostile environment ratchets further and further up 
and is further and further normalized in a post-Brexit world, you know. And I think it's it's in that context, in addition to, you know, the questions around the rights of EU citizens, we also have to keep in mind what might happen to the rights of, of everyone in the UK in this post-Brexit landscape of you know, restrictive and repressive immigration control because, in a sense, the Brexiteers have to deliver on that aspect of their promise. And I think it's in areas such as that where I think we should be nervous about whether the human rights infrastructure that we currently have is robust enough to withstand what might be coming there. When it comes to Northern Ireland, the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland has been a real focal point. Is that, would you say, the most important issue facing Northern Ireland in these Brexit negotiations? Yeah, I, I think the, the border has, has, has featured a, a lot, and I think that's that's right, because what, you know, the European Union membership and the Good Friday Agreement and everything that has followed is to, to in some sense, melt away that border, you know, to make the that border largely invisible to people who move around this island. That's not absolutely the case but it's largely the case and i think many people regard that as an important part of the process here you know those common travel area uh, provisions and the reciprocal arrangements that exist between the uk and ireland so all that has been very very important i think there's a real there's a real dilemma here because on the one hand the uk government has said it does not want a hard border on the island of ireland right so and it's working uh, and it's been asked to work on solutions to that, but that doesn't match the sort of Brexit that they're talking about. So if the UK leaves the single market and the customs union, uh, my understanding from everybody who knows about these things is that it's impossible to have uh, the sort of invisible border that they're talking about. So there's a mismatch between the rhetoric and the reality. We've been talking mostly about devolution issues in relation to Northern Ireland as part of the UK. But what about self-determination? Is that something that's on the table? Would Northern Ireland possibly leave the UK? You know, another thing to keep in mind about the Good Friday Agreement and what's followed us is the, and I know self-determination questions are back big time on the, the agenda in Europe, is that obviously the, the agreement provides for a self-determination mechanism whereby Northern Ireland can leave the UK. And the other interesting aspect of Brexit is it is it has reignited that conversation as well. So there are more people now talking on the island of Ireland about the question of Irish unity. You know that 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 one proposition might be stay in the 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 EU by leaving the UK, and the EU has left the door uh, open to that prospect emerging, and. Uh, I think, again, that's been another consequence of Brexit. And the interesting thing from Northern Ireland's perspective, it sort of changes the proposition away from some of the sort of maybe old, older, more nationalistic arguments to a very practical argument about future well-being for the next generation, you know. Do, do people want to, you know, remain in Northern Ireland and the UK or do they want to think about maybe leaving, <laughs> joint, staying in the EU in an Irish context? And the Good Friday Agreement and the Northern Ireland Act they provide for a mechanism you know, to face that. Now, uh, again, that debate has been reopened, a major constitutional debate on this island as a result of Brexit. 
I think that for many people, Brexit seems very abstract, and that's partly because the specifics of what the deal with the EU will look like are still kind of elusive. The referendum happened and life kind of just went on. It doesn't really feel in the day-to-day -day right now like there is a crisis. So um, why would you say that we should be thinking about it in that way? I think for for, for everybody, really, it, it first of all, it, calling into question some of the standards and principles in which we're, we're all governed, really, I think is an important uh, you know, current aspect of the current debate. But in Northern Ireland... You know, it's clear that our our executive and assembly has collapsed. You know, it 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 isn't there. It isn't operational. Um, things are going forward at the moment in terms of the work of the Secretary of State and the civil service here. But that's a very real crisis when you don't have locally elected politicians making decisions as envisaged within the structures of a peace agreement. So, you know, if the political institutions here collapse and go down, that takes down a major pillar of our peace agreement and our peace process. And I think the language of crisis in that context is, is merited. I think if the negotiations are unsuccessful, we have the looming prospect of direct rule from Westminster being reimposed in Northern Ireland. And I think that's a worrying development, you know, potentially with ministers from elsewhere in the UK coming and shipped into Northern Ireland to govern here. And I suppose the third point, the debate around devolved consent is is theoretical right now because there's no this is all there's no assembly here to give consent. So th this is all going forward without uh you know, even the prospect of our executive assembly considering the issue of, of, of consent. But I think, you know, obviously, as human rights lawyers, we're also thinking about social and economic status and entitlements and the future. And, you know, all the evidence so far is pointing to a very, very impoverished, weak and needy future UK as a result of the decisions that have been taken in the last number of years. You know, there's very few uh, people making the argument that this is necessarily going to lead to a brighter, better, more prosperous future. So I think, you know, the, the economic and social rights implications for everyone in the UK are really affected. What would you like to see happen in the Brexit negotiations going forward? What are the most important issues, in your opinion, that really need greater attention? You know, first of all, it's important that w at whatever level this is done, that human rights and equality guarantees underpin the process in Northern Ireland. So what that means is, you know, I think it means that the Human Rights Act has to stay, right? So the threat of repealing and replacing the Human Rights Act has to go. I cannot see how the current government would ever get the idea of a British Bill of Rights off the ground here. So I think withdrawing the threat over the Human Rights Act uh, would, would would very much help. Uh, so that's one thing. Secondly, in relation to Northern Ireland, you know, what's not often said is there are human rights elements of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement that have not been delivered. I think now is the time in Northern Ireland to reopen the discussion about a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland. 
and to reopen the conversation about the proposals from the Human Rights Commission here in 2008 that were rejected by the government. Now, I, I was a commissioner on the commission at, at that time, so I have somewhat of an interest in this, but I think we need to reopen that discussion around those proposals. Also, I think we really need to reopen the conversation around the Charter of Rights for the Island of Ireland that was envisaged in that agreement too, that's been neglected, but I think needs to be reopened, we need to reopen that conversation. In terms of the wider UK context, in terms of Brexit, it seems absolutely clear to me there needs to be a clear written down legislative commitment to non-regression in relation to human rights and equality as a first basic step. I think what's been done to the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights is really, really very, very problematic. That seems to me a great instrument that could really inform law and policy development in the future. And I think why not bring that in to domestic law, let the courts uh, use that going uh, forward. I think the second thing is we need to work out a way in order to keep pace with progressive developments at the European Union level in relation to equality law. So I think that needs to be factored in too. And I suppose in relation to everything I've said about Northern Ireland, I think the time has come really to find ways, whether it's the EU level in the withdrawal agreement or whether it's domestic law in the UK, to give clear legal recognition to the principles and practice of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. And I know that people are talking about this in relation to amendments to withdrawal bill going through Parliament right now. But whatever way that is done, I think we need to see a step beyond the sort of rhetoric around the Good Friday Agreement to clear legal guarantees around that agreement. Because I think it's really, really too important coming up to the 20th anniversary for Brexit or anything else to undermine what was agreed here. I suppose the final point, you know, the sooner we get our institutions back up and running here on a sustainable long-term basis, you know, the be- the, the better, you know, so, so we can have a, those debates here as well. So essentially, we really need to tackle these big constitutional issues alongside the devilish little details. The main point is that I think where possible, we need to find ways to, to reopen and broaden these constitutional conversations to make sure you know people are able to participate in these discussions because I think there's a risk that if this becomes a debate around narrow technical fixes on the sort of unreversible train track towards Brexit, I think we miss the larger constitutional moment that we're in. Great. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for your insight on Brexit and Northern Ireland and the human rights implications there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Rights Up, Right Now is a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.